He just wanted to come here and check the attendance to make sure he didn't get beat. <laughs> I had a good time talking with him and uh, Pastor Ian about their revival experiences at Rosewood, and they all just said they were great experiences. And I just want to commend you for a marvelous, marvelous time. The Spirit of God has been in this place. Uh, and I'll tell you where the Spirit of God is, things happen automatically and naturally. So I want to ask you a couple of questions tonight to start things off. How many of you, if you knew clearly that Jesus told you to do something, how many of you would do it? Stand up. If you knew Jesus told you to do something, you would do it. Absolutely. All right? All right. Really? I mean, seriously. I'm not joking now. This is, this is serious. All right, then I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them this question. Do you really trust Jesus? Go ahead, ask them. Okay. Now I want you to look at him one more time, look him right in the eyes. Go and give him eye contact. You ready? And say, Are you sure? Okay. I just want to make sure. So let's all in unison, when I say three, let's all together say, I trust Jesus. You ready? I want to hear it loud. I want him to hear it. One, two, three. I trust Jesus. Really? All right, turn to the person next to you and say, you look like a priest. And you may be seated. I think we're having problems with our PowerPoint. We're not? Oh, we, it's up? Oh, I just didn't see it. All right, I want to talk to you about um, what's the most natural thing um, that we do. That's it, but it's, it's weird. I hope it's okay. I didn't have that underlined before, so hopefully it's all right. Let's go on to the next screen and see how it looks. Because you should have notes, right? Does everyone have a set of notes? Those of you who like to fill in notes? Good. I think we're on great. Great. Thank you. In fact, I want us to give our sound techs and audiovisuals a great round of applause. Would you do that? So in, uh, in praying about this, I want to remind you that I, I know you've been praying, and I, I have sensed your prayers. I've sensed the power and the presence of God since I walked into this place on Sunday morning. And I've sensed him every service. And I believe that God has something for us tonight. And I'm going to say this with caution but with boldness. I believe that God wants to do something here tonight that if you will respond to Jesus, you will change Toronto. Now, I know you don't think you can change Toronto because we're like the fleas, right? We got the lid on and we're listening to the lid instead of listening to the, to the Savior. But I just want to tell you, I believe that Rosewood Church of Nazarene can change this city. In fact, I believe that Rosewood could change the world. Well, I, I believe that. In fact, I don't think your gifts and your skills and your talents have anything to do with your ability to change the world. I think that it's all a matter of the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. Amen. I've already said that before. If you know the scripture, quote it with me. Ephesians 3.20. You ready? He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work in you. Right? It's not your gifts. Amen? It's not your strengths. It's not your talents. It's not your personality. It's not your background. It's not your degree. It's not your upbringing. It's not your bloodline. It's not how pretty you are. It's not how skinny you are. Praise God. It's the power of God working in you is the, is the key factor to any of us being effective for God, right? 
So I want to take you back. I want to take you back to 1976. It was about two weeks after that fateful day when I was at Virginia Beach and I encountered this young man and he told me about Jesus and I went home and gave my life to Christ. It was two weeks later. I tell you, God did something in my life that so transformed me, I could not be quiet about it. I couldn't be silent. It, it messed me up. It messed me up for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm still messed up, right? You, you agree with that. I'm just not normal. Something's wrong with me. And what's wrong with me is that God changed my life. And he turned me from going to hell and living a miserable life to going to heaven and living an awesome life. He did that for me. I'll never get over it. I'll never calm down about it. I'll never get quiet about it. I'll never get calm about it. God has changed my life. And the tragic news is for most of us, we've kind of forgotten that experience. Many people in the church, Christianity has become the natural thing that they do. Well, early in my faith, I remember I got a phone call from Tim Clark. I was two weeks old in the Lord. I hadn't been a Christian for very long at all. And he said, Mark, are you a Christian now? He went to the Nazarene church there. And I said, well, yeah. He said, then we're going witnessing on Friday night. So I was kind of new to this thing. I thought maybe there was jury duty or something. And we were... (laughs) I didn't, know, I didn't know what that was. I was a brand new Christian. I, for heaven's sakes, I was a drug addict two weeks ago. And he said, we're going witnessing. I said, okay, whatever, whatever that is. I'll be happy to go, man. You're a Christian. I'll go with you. So we met on Friday night. We went down to Shoney's. And right next to Shoney's was a truck stop. And so we went into Shoney's and we sat down. And back then, Shoney's was a little different. Did anybody ever go to Shoney's? Do you all know what Shoney's is up here? Tell them what it is. Shoney's is like a... It's like a a kind of a fancy hamburger joint not fancy in this day but in that day it was very fancy they had strawberry pies that's all i remember most vividly and uh, in the shoney's back then they had like a counter that people sat at and they also had booths but when i went to shoney's i always sat at the counter because at the counter you could sit there and the waitress would come right up to the front of you at the counter kind of like you would think of as a bar and they had these things in front of the counter they were long and they were chrome and they had things around like this at the top and had vinyl on top and chrome around the side and, and, and I loved going to Shoney's for that reason and that reason alone. Well, the strawberry pie was the first draw. The second draw was their seats because I was very poor and I never had hope that I would ever go to a theme park. We were poor. I would never go to Disney World. I'd never go to Bush Cards. I was never going to go to one of these theme parks because my parents were too poor. They could hardly feed us for heaven's sakes. When I came into Shoney's, I'd get up there and I'd sit up. When I was a little kid, I'd sit on those little seats and I'd do this. And I could do it until I got sick, dizzy. So when Tim said go to Shoney's, I was excited to go to Shoney's. So I went to Shoney's, I'm sitting there with Tim. He's sitting to the right of me, and I'm sitting left of him. He said, Mark, we're going to witness. I said, okay, what is that? He said, that's when you tell somebody about Jesus. I said, oh, that's great. That's not hard. You don't have to talk me into that. Man, that's the greatest thing I've asked. Better than sliced bread, man. I can't wait to tell somebody about Jesus. I need to know how. He said, here's how. It's very simple. He said, here's a track. He gave me a track. It was called a chick track. And the chick track was, this was your life. And it's a story of a guy that lived a very wicked life and he died and went to hell. I thought, well, that's not very encouraging. He said, but keep reading. On the back of it, it showed how he could have gone to heaven if he made the right choices. And then it shows how to become a Christian on the back. And so I got got that track out. I said, okay, I'm ready. He said, well, the next person that sits down over here, you're going to get up and go over and talk to them. You're going to hand them the track and you're going to say, God loves you. I love you. And God has a plan for your life. I'm thinking, okay, God loves you, I love you, I plan for you. God loves you, I love you, I plan for your life, God loves you. So I'm, I'm memorizing like four spiritual laws, whatever. You know, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just doing what he told me. I'm a new Christian. But man, if it's telling me about Jesus, I can't wait to do that because he changed my life. 
So out the side of my eye, I saw a big old tractor trailer come in. That big old ugly, hairy looking dude gets out. He looks like Sasquatch. This guy's got to be like nine feet tall. He had long, hairy arms. They drugged the ground. And he had green film coming out of his mouth when he breathed. He was this huge, nasty looking booger. And he dragged those arms into that, in that place. And guess where he sat? I'm sitting there. God loves you. I love you. He has a plan for your life. God loves you. I love you. He has a plan for your life. Loves you. Loves you. That's called evangelism 101, folks. He sits down and Tim comes over and hits me in the ribs. He said, go do it. I said, I'm, I'm still memorizing. Just relax. God loves you. I love you. as a plan for life. So I'm sitting there and doing that. For, you know, I was not about to talk to this guy because I don't like talking to people that I don't know. It's weird. Let's just admit it. It's just weird. So I kept playing. He hit me in the ribs again. It got to the place where he probably hit me like five times. I said, my ribs are getting sore. He said, Mark, you need to go tell him now. I said, listen, pal, I'll tell him when the Holy Spirit tells me. He said, the Holy Spirit told you in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, you don't need a bolt of lightning to hear that God wants you to go witness. So go do it. Except he did it a little quieter than that. So I got the track. I reluctantly went over and I said, excuse me, sir. And he looked at me. I mean, he looked at me like he could kill me. He had red old bloodshot eyes like he'd been up all night. And he hadn't shaven. I mean, he's just nasty looking booger. I said, I just want to tell you, I gave him the track. I said, God loves you. I love you. And he has a plan for your life. And I thought, did good. This guy grabs a track. He throws it at me. Hits me right in the chest. Falls back down on the, on the, on the counter there. And he says, I don't read about God, talk about God, or think about God. You need to get out of my face, young man. And I instantly felt like it would be prudent to honor that request. So I turned around and I walked off and I sat down in my chair. And there was one scripture that I remembered from that night because I kept quoting over again. I kept quoting this. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of people against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Blessed are you. I'm just sitting there. I'm thinking I'm being persecuted. Isn't it funny what we think persecution is? I sat there and I'm praying. I thought, boy, Lord Jesus, help this man to leave fast. This man could kill me. And sure enough, my prayer was answered. He walked out. He ate a quick meal and left. And I saw the truck go away. And when it went away, I felt a sense of peace. And uh, sitting there talking to Tim and asking him how I did. He said, oh, you did great. I said, that's, that's what great is? He said, yeah, man, you just got to share the word. It's your responsibility to share the word. I said, I, you know, I don't like this method, Tim. He said, well, what's your method? I said, I, I don't have any yet. He said, well, then you're going to use mine until you get one. So about 10 minutes later, maybe 15, I saw that truck showing up back on the left side of that. And I saw Sasquatch get out and drag himself in that place again. And here he comes. And I'm just praying, oh, God. You know, because I was just, I just got saved from gangs. And I'm ready. I'm like, it's on, baby. This guy's coming after me. And I, I forgot that I'm a Christian. Remember that passion with the crowbar? Well, that was before that experience. So I was, I'm thinking how I'm, uh, you know, I got to deal with this thing, you know. And I'm getting all ready and all psyched up. I'm ready to defend myself. And dude walks over and he taps me on the shoulder. And it's like hitting me with a, like a, like a baseball bat. A big old thick finger hit me on the shoulder. I looked up and I looked at him and he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, young man, I'm sorry for the way that I spoke to you. And he said, would you mind putting this in the plate for me on Sunday? He gave me some cash, like 8 or $10 cash. You know what happened? That horrible, terrible witness plan, that, that, that 
awful, most, most unprepared, unskilled method of evangelism. Actually, God took it. That guy got in his truck, and God did a thing called translation. And he took those stupid words that I said that I didn't know what I was saying. It was almost memorized, and he turned them into breaking that man's heart. I don't know what happened to that man, but I have a feeling that he might be in heaven today. That was my first experience with Whitney. You know what the great tragedy is for most Christians? They never had a Christian tell them that that's essential to their faith. You know, it's like, it's like teaching somebody to tithe. You know, we, you know, we want to wait until our kids are like 50 and they're making like 200 grand a year before we teach them to tithe, right? Wrong. <laughs> no, we want to teach them when they're very young. And, and we need to teach Christians when they're very young that disciple-making is normative behavior for the believer. And so, so what I want to ask you is, do you really trust Jesus? That's really the question I want to ask you. Because the most natural biblical thing that you can do if you're a Christian is make a disciple. Every one of us. I don't care about your personality, your skills, your gifts. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's not you that makes you effective. Amen? What is it that makes you effective? It's the Holy Spirit. Do we, I, don't think we, I'm, I don't think we're believing it. Do you really trust Jesus? Okay, so according to Jesus... He had some weird methods too. He did. Jesus had weird methods. I love it when I talk to people about evangelism. They say, well, I don't like those methods. All the time. I question if there's any method that any of us would use to make disciples. Any Christian. Would we, if, if somebody gave us the perfect method, would we use it? But see, the point is it's not about method. It's about mission. Mission comes first. I know y'all might get mad at me tonight, but I believe in the, in the definition of leadership, and here it is. The art of annoying people at a rate they can tolerate it. <laughs> Do you hear that? Isn't that a pretty good definition of leadership? The art of annoying people at a rate they can tolerate it. You don't want to annoy people beyond their rate to tolerate it, but you know, if we're not annoyed, we won't change our behavior. Did you know that? I mean, I, I know people... Where I live in Kansas City, inner city, they'll drive a car, the air conditioner will go out, the windows will break, the heater will blow up, the power steering doesn't work, and the tires are, are all bare, and the brakes don't work, and they'll keep driving that sucker until it stops running. We don't change our behavior until we become uncomfortable with it. So what I want to say to you tonight is, I'm not sure that we really trust Jesus. And here's why I'm not sure that we really trust Jesus, because I'm not sure that we want to really follow him and do what he says. Because Jesus modeled it for us. Remember when he met the disciples? First thing he said when he met Matthew, the tax collector, he said, follow me and I will help you to catch people. Remember that? Remember when he met Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zedadee on the beach? First thing he said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me and I'll give you a really great experience in life and you'll have a nice church for your family and you'll have a safe, comfortable life and then you can live and die and go to heaven. No, right out of Jesus' mouth, the first thing he says is, if you follow me, you will be fishers of men. It's not just that. It's almost every encounter that Jesus had with anybody. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we talked about it Sunday night. In Acts 1, 8, he says, well, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be great churchmen. Y'all aren't very involved tonight. Are y'all okay? Yeah. All right. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It's an interesting word, the word witness in the New Testament. 
See, in the New Testament, they had a hard time separating witnessing from suffering. In fact, it was almost impossible to separate the idea of making disciples without including in the definition suffering. Did you know that? We know that because if you read the Greek in Acts 1-8 where it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses. Do you know what the word witness is in the Greek? It's the word martos. Martos. It means to martyr or to suffer. See, the New Testament, see, we think there's a way to do witnessing where there's no pushback, where it's just going to happen, and, and if it doesn't work good, then you shouldn't do it. But the New Testament, you know, there was a lady named Perpetua. Have you ever heard of Perpetua? Anyone studied about Perpetua? There's a book that's been written recently that has Tertullian's explanation of Perpetua in there. And uh, it's, it's a book, the book is called the, uh, the, the Patient Ferment of the Early Christians. It's a great book. You should read it. I was reading it a couple of months ago, and in that book it talks about this young woman named Perpetua. And she was a Carthaginian. She was from Carthage, northern Africa. And the North African Christians were the most committed Christians in the first century. They were by far, everybody honored the North Africans as amazingly committed Christians. And Perpetua was one of those. And Perpetua was a young woman, maybe she was in her early 30s, and she was kind of a blue blood. She was a wealthy, not a poor person, not a low-income person. And she fell madly in love with Jesus. And her and her group of Christians there in Carthage got so excited about Jesus that the Romans found out about it and they came and arrested them and they brought them into one of those big old Colosseums and they starved the animals for about a week and they dropped them into that Colosseum and they were going to give their lives because of their faith. It's kind of a graphic. I can't even tell you the story. It's too graphic. It would kind of almost made my stomach turn when I read what happened. But Tertullian gives a real, almost an exact telling of what really happened. They threw them in there and said the Christians gathered around before the lions and the, and the, and the hungry animals were released. And they would gather around and, and they hugged each other and they kissed each other. And they looked at each other and they said, we're going to die better than anybody that dies in this place. Because what's on the other side of our death is better than this life. And they gave each other a, a holy kiss they turned around, and here come the animals, and they were mauled, and they were, they were, they were dismembered. And, and many of them, the animals would get full before all the Christians were eaten, and they'd have to come and kill them. By, the gladiators have to come and finish them off. Isn't that horribly graphic? I just want you to know, that's, that's what it was like to be a Christian in the first century. But see, Christians weren't as concerned about their reputations and their names and, and what people thought of them in the world as much as they were concerned about those that didn't know them. You know what they said? If you read that story, you'll find it. Tertullian says that, that they felt like their best opportunity to present Christ was when they died in those places. Because tens of thousands of people would notice these Christians, they don't die like the criminals. They don't die like the other people. They die with joy. They, it's almost like they run into death. Because they have something waiting on the other side. There's stories of how many people came to Christ by just watching these people die when they came into those places. You see, in the New Testament, when we read, you will see power when the Spirit comes on you and you will be martos. See, they understood that, that sharing your faith is probably going to cost you something. A lot of us, we kind of get confused about that and we're not really sure, but and, you know, it's, it's just really true. If you read the scripture, you'll fall, find this. 
According to Paul, what's the first thing that happens? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, I shared this with you on Sunday night. I want to share it again. It says, let's read this together, could we? Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Let's try that again. Let's stand. I think you guys are kind of tight tonight. You got to loosen up. Turn to somebody next to you and say, loosen up, bro. Loosen up, chill, easy. Let's read this together, and I'm going to give you another passage in a minute. We're going to read it. It's all up there. Let's read it together. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Did you catch that? So what is Paul suggesting is the most natural response to having faith? He didn't say, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We get around men and ooze it out onto them. He didn't say, when you, when you have faith, you just kind of live a quiet life among them, and hopefully some of them come to me. No, Paul had weird methods too. These guys were weird. No, he said, since then you know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Persuade, and he goes on. Let's read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, ready, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We therefore, as Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that liberating? It's not your appeal. And you're not the one making it. It's him making it through you. Amen? Amen. So, so, so everybody here, according to the New Testament, is, is a disciple maker. So turn to the person next to you again. Remind them. Ask them this question. Do you really trust Jesus? Thank you. You may be seated. So to ask the question, do you really trust Jesus, is an important question because we're really supposed to do what Jesus said, but I'm not sure that we really do. And I know for many years in my life, I didn't trust Jesus on this issue as well. I'll remind you of this statement. We don't have to wait for a flash of light or a voice from heaven to know God wants us to make disciples. Somebody say amen. amen. We don't. In fact, the Word of God tells us that when, you are, when he commissioned his disciples, he said, go make disciples of all nations. He just, he just laid it out. There it is all across the New Testament. That is his mission. That's what he called us to do. That was his mission. The Son of Man came into the world to do what? To seek and to save the lost. It's not his will that, let's try it again. It's not his will that any perish. So that means that God's will is that every person on the planet gets saved. You remember Sunday night? I know we're doing some repeating because I think it's important to get this back in our brains. So, so if it's his will for everyone to get saved, if that's his will, what's his plan? Turn to the person next to you. You ready? Look him in the eye. Come on. Look him. Go ahead. It's, 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 it's cool. You can still be cool and do this. Say, say, you're the plan. You're the plan. A lot of this sounds familiar, but as I prayed and prayed, I thought I need to finish the sermon I started on Sunday night because I got about halfway through it and stopped. So now we're back up to, up to par. For most Christians that I encounter, uh, they know we are supposed to make disciples. They all know it. They just don't like the methods suggested. In fact, have you ever found a method of making disciples that you just thought was really cool? I never have. In fact, any method I've ever found to make disciples, somehow it led to someone realizing they needed Jesus. If they realize they need Jesus, that means that they realize they're, they're missing something in their lives. And we don't like to do that. That's not comfortable. So I thought, well, if we don't like the methods, then, then, then what should we do? Finding ways to get the mission accomplished is more important than finding methods to get it done. 
I know that sounds almost counterintuitive, uh, but I just want to read that to you again. It's the next statement. Finding ways to get the mission accomplished is more important than finding a method that fits our personality, our culture, our gifts. See, that's what we're waiting for. If someone would come up, I'm sorry, that's my wife, and I forgot to turn the, the bleeper off. It's off now, and if she's mad at me, I'll tell her it's your fault. So, no, I turned the phone off, sorry. So it's not about your gifts, it's not about your culture. If we could find a way to do it, it would be really easy, and we could keep going to church, and we could make disciples inside of our box, our personality, our gifts, our skills, our resources, our schedule, our time allotments. If we could do that, then we would do it, right? Because everybody believes we should. If you believe we ought to be making disciples, say amen. amen. It's just true. We like the ideas of disciple making because it's clearly biblical. We all know this. It's our mission statement as a church. The Church of the Nazarene's mission is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. That's our mission, right? We do not, however, like the cost of making disciples. Somebody say amen and ouch. Let's all say it together on three. One, two, three. Amen and ouch. We like the idea. You'd like to have your church full every day, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have your church full every Sunday? Don't you hate it that there's one seat empty, that somebody's not there because they could be experiencing life like you're experiencing? We all like the idea, but, but we, we don't like the costs that are associated with it. Many Christians confuse commitment with action, or we confuse commitment with involvement. Now, you've heard this illustration, probably most of you have. You've heard that, that, that breakfast, you know, the steak and egg breakfast that the chicken was involved and the cow was committed, right? The chicken gave an egg. The cow gave his life for that breakfast, right? So there's difference between commitment and involvement. I think that that's one of our problems in the church today. We want to do what Jesus did, but, we, but when action is required, we kind of back off. And uh, it reminds me of the story of the Pope. Did I share the story with you? You know, the first heart transplant was done in 1967. Did you know that? First heart transplant. And there was a Pope, the story goes that there was a Pope that was alive at that time and his heart got bad. And he needed a heart desperately. And if he didn't get a heart, within a matter of months he would die. Of course, all the Catholics all over the world were praying for the Pope that God would bless him with a heart, and no heart came. So the Pope sent out a decree to all Catholics. He said, if there's any Catholic that would like to give their heart for the Pope so that the Pope could live, I would entertain that. And he got thousands of letters from Catholics all over the world. So he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to decide who gets to give their heart for the Pope. We're going to have a, a meeting, and I'm going to come out uh, in St. Peter's Basilica. And if you want to be one of those volunteers, you come, and I'm going to select one person on a certain day at a certain time to be the one that gives their heart for the Pope. And the day happened, and tens of thousands of involved Catholics showed up. They lined St. Peter's. There was no room to stand. Everywhere they were, there were people everywhere. You could hardly breathe or walk. The Pope stands out on that place that he stands when he speaks and he comes out and he says, today, one lucky Catholic is going to be able to give their heart for the Pope. And so he holds his hand out and he drops a feather. And you heard them saying, he said, whoever the feather lands on will be that Catholic that gets to give their heart and save the Pope and save the church. As he dropped the feather, you could hear them, thousands of them sing out loud, my heart for the Pope. <laughs> My heart for the Pope. <laughs> My heart for the Pope. <laughs> See, what was happening in that story is people got commitment and inv involvement confused. We all want to say, I want to give my heart for Jesus. But Jesus says, go make disciples. And we go, <laughs> it's his will. 
There's a man named Jane Calvert who left for a mission to the Fiji Islands. He and a group of missionaries, I think there might have been 10 or 15 missionaries, and they were going to the Fiji Islands back in the day. And when they were on the plane, the captain came to this, to this missionary, Mr. Calvin. He said, please, Mr. Calvin, I implore you. I know you've paid me to take you to Fiji Islands, but if you go there, you will die. The people in the Fiji Islands are cannibals. They will kill you, and they will eat you. And the people that you bring, you will be responsible for them, and they will die. And you know what Calvert said? He said, sir, I appreciate your concern. He said, but we died before we left. We died before we left the U.S. We came here with our lives in our hands. We're trusting God with them. You see, there's a difference between commitment and involvement. So how many of you here think Jesus was a good disciple maker? Yeah, no, come on. The rest of you think he's bad, or you're just, not, you're just trying to give me more time to preach? Because if you don't participate, I just preach forever. Uh, so I could be done at like, uh, what, 9 o'clock? Or we could go till 11, so, but participation changes that. So how many of you are for the 9 o'clock version? Oh, some of you are, y'all are just stubborn, and I tell you. How many of you think Jesus was a good disciple maker? Raise your hand. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, would his methods be okay to, if we were to unpack those? Would, that, would his methods be all right? Could you use those? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about some of his methods. First of all, he met a tax collector at the tax collector's booth. He didn't know him from Adam, never met him before. And you know what he said to him? He said, follow me and I'll make you fisher men. He met Peter, James, and John. He met Zacchaeus, remember? Boy, that was kind of a bad experience. If you're Zach, you're hiding up in the tree, you think nobody notices you, and Jesus stops right in the tree, looks up and says, hey, I'm coming to your house. Well, that wasn't very nice. That could have offended Zach. That could have caused a little bit of grief for Zach, right? Women caught in adultery, remember, at the beach. How about the woman at the well? Remember what happened to the woman at the well? That's the story we want to talk about this afternoon. I began today by reminding us what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Remember this passage. Let's read it together. Anyone who believes in me will do the things I do. Even greater things will they do than I have done because I go to my Father. Do you really believe that? Who said that? Do you trust Jesus? Turn to the person next to you and say, I really do trust Jesus. Come on. Don't give me more minutes to preach. I'll take them. Let's learn how Jesus did disciple making. You ready to go? What were his methods? Would his method work for you? He was, a host, he was in a hostile environment. How many believe that Jesus was in a hostile environment? If you don't believe that, don't read the Bible. John the Baptist was beheaded. You know why he's beheaded? Because he told the truth. Would you rather not be beheaded or tell the truth? For most Christians is, I can find a way to tell the truth without being beheaded. John was an idiot. He, didn't, he wasn't prudent. He wasn't wise. He didn't have good insight. Well, if John wasn't very smart, I'm much smarter than him. I can do church without anybody getting offended. John was beheaded because of his faith. They tried to kill Jesus in Nazareth, his hometown. They tried to throw him off a cliff early in his ministry. Why? It wasn't because Jesus was offensive, folks. It was because the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. Did you, do you understand this? Paul says that, he says, to those who are perishing, the gospel is a stench of death. But to those who are being saved, it's the aroma of life. We've tried to find some way to present the gospel in a way that people who are lost don't understand they need it. And it's not working very well. Remember the statistics I gave you Sunday night? It's tragic. 
the church in Canada. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about all churches that are Orthodox churches or whatever, Christian churches. They've gone from 20% attendance to 13% attendance in six years. This is a statistic I shared with you Sunday night. That should alarm us. I think it's time somebody needs to blow a horn and say there's a problem. We're not making disciples is really the problem. They finally killed Jesus. They got him after three years of ministry. Now, why would they do that? Don't you think Jesus was nice? How many think he was nice? How many think he was too pushy? He would have been because they killed him. See, you don't, they don't kill people that aren't pushy. But it wasn't Jesus that offended people. We need to get this, guys. It's the power of God that offends people. It's his power. I know we don't like this. I, I, don't, I don't even, I don't like it. I'd like to say when God shows up, sinners feel really wonderful. But I was one and I didn't when he showed up. I felt horrible. And I needed to feel horrible. Why? Because there was something in me that was against him. And when light and darkness hit each other, there's conflict. Amen? I'm not suggesting you should try to have conflict. You should not. You should be as nice as you can. But you do not get permission not to be honest with people. Nor do I. Well, this is the hard truth, isn't it? So here's the question. So to be clear, let's just make sure. Jesus thinks that anyone who believes in him can do greater things than he did. All of you that believe that, raise your hand. Just read it, John 14. You believe it, right? All right, so do you trust Jesus? So if he tells you to do something, you trust him enough to do it, amen? All right, okay, we're going to go on. Correct, all right, good. So let's study what he did. Here we go, John chapter 4. You know the story. You don't have to turn. I've got it right there. Let me read it to you. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had learned that Jesus had been baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, Jesus left Judea and departed Galilee, and the reason he did is because he found that the Pharisees were kind of coming after him. Verse 4 says, but he needed to go through Samaria. I just want you to pause on that for a minute. He needed to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, that was not his normal track to go through Samaria. Jesus would not naturally go through Samaria. In fact, no Jew would go through Samaria, and no rabbi certainly would not go through Samaria because that's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. What do you think that means? Well, we're not sure exactly of the motives for it, but we know this one thing. We know that Jesus went there when it wasn't his normal thing. Let me ask you this. Do you trust Jesus enough that if he asked you to do something that's not your normal thing, you would do it? Yes, come on. Are you guys sleepy tonight? You didn't have your coffee. You're quiet. Let's try it again. Turn to the person next to you. Ready? Loosen up. Turn to the, one last time. I won't ask you to do this, I think, again. Say, I trust Jesus. Okay, thank you. Here we go. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Here it is. Jesus went where the Father directed him. Will you? Will you go where the Father directs you? What if God just right in the middle of your day interrupted your schedule and said, I know you're planning on doing this, but today I want you to do that. Here's the question. Would you even hear that? Or have we gotten so established in our structures, in our schedules, in our habits and behaviors that God would have to speak to us within the realm and call us to do things within the realm of our expectations. See, Jesus modeled for us that when something happened that he needed to do because God put it on his heart, he would go do that thing. 
You remember Philip did the same thing. Remember Philip was kind of bumping along there in Acts, and the, the, the word of the Lord, an angel spoke to him and said, I want you to go down by this place. And he went down by the place, and before you know it, he ran into a guy that was, that was on a chariot, and he was, he was, a, he was a, a treasurer from Ethiopia in charge of all the treasure of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. I mean, this is a pretty significant moment. See, Philip would not have been there had he, had he not listened to the Spirit. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Spirit still speaks to people. If you believe that, say amen. I said, I believe the Spirit still speaks to people. If you believe it, say amen. amen. And if He speaks to people, that means He's got something He wants people to do. And if we don't do what He wants us to do, then we don't trust Him. Amen? amen. We trust ourselves. He had to go through Samaria. We're not certain of His motives. It's clear that He was not on His normal path. Sometimes making certain of our motives prevents mission. I said, sometimes making certain of our motives prevents mission. We're so motive-driven. We're so spiritual, aren't we? we first, particularly with Nazarenes. I mean, buddy, as long as I have the right motive, I'll do it, right? Like going to work. You know why you go to work? Because you want to see your company go well, right? So, so if they stop paying, you'd still go to work because you want your company to go well, right? Say no, because you wouldn't. Because you don't go to work, you'd like your company to go well for one reason, because it pays you more, right? It's kind of like selfish motive. So our motives are not as pure as we might say that they are. I, I, we'd rather do the wrong thing with the right motive than the right thing with the wrong motive. Jonah didn't have a problem with that. Jonah ran from God, and where did he end up? He ended up in Nineveh with a bad attitude, man. That guy did not want to go to Nineveh, and he did not want the Ninevites saved. But he spoke the word of God reluctantly and with a bitter attitude. You know what happened? The whole city repented. What if, what if God were to call you to go witness to somebody, and if you did that, it would change a city? Would that be worth that to you? I'm not sure it would be. I, I think maybe we'd kind of rather just be kind of calm and quiet and, and not cause any trouble. We're also certain that Jesus is willing to allow the Spirit to interrupt His normal human activity. I want to say something to you that's important for us to know. Jesus was hypersensitive to the Spirit. Let's say that out loud, could we? Jesus was hypersensitive to the Spirit. Are, are we hypersensitive to the Spirit? See, I, I think we may be more hypersensitive to one another. I have to confess that, that I'm tempted to be hypersensitive more to you than I am to God. When God asks me to say a hard thing, I don't want to say it. When God asks me to tell my children, when God asks me to correct my children, I don't really want to do it. Because I know they may not like me if I correct my children, but, but then if I don't correct them, they're going to be a mess like I was. I don't want anybody to end up like I did. So I, remember we talked last night about prayer? Here's why I'm preaching this sermon tonight. Because I believe with all my heart, prayer leads to mission. Can we say that together? Prayer leads to mission. I believe that prayer leads to mission. And I think when you start talking to God, I remember me sharing with you uh, the other night, and I shared with you, if you have children that are lost and they lived in your town and you prayed that God would send something to them, wouldn't you hope that someone would go? Wouldn't you hope that someone would lead, listen to God and trust Jesus enough to actually go to that lost loved one of yours? I think that's the reason a lot of our kids aren't saved. Because we're not doing anything to save anybody else's kids, so why would God send somebody to our kids? You reap what you sow. Do we believe this? I don't think, I think we get confused about who, who the nature of God is. We think, no, God's not that way. God's not, you know, God's not going to save. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Well, the truth is, he's prepared enough room in heaven for everybody. Amen? But the Bible says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, only who does the will of my Father. So Jesus was hypersensitive to the Spirit. Are you hypersensitive to the Spirit? I want to just remind you that prayer makes us that way. Prayer makes us hypersensitive to the Spirit. Prayer gets us in touch with the will of God. Amen? 
God has changed me in this area, as I shared with you earlier this week. I became intentional about disciple-making about two years ago, and I'd never been that way in my life. My first ever encounter in disciple-making attempt, there was a real interruption in my life. I want to tell you about it. This is, this is the lady. Her name is LaRonda. I went on a porch. I was driving through the neighborhood one Sunday, and, uh, and, and I saw some kids on a porch. And the Holy Spirit, I was just doing a prayer drive. I wasn't planning on talking to anyone. I was just praying, right? you got to be careful about that praying stuff. I'm telling you, praying will mess up your world. It'll mess up your life. So I prayed, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to stop and talk to those kids about me. I did not want to do it. But but God kind of interrupted my life, and he made me go on a place I didn't want to go. Instead of me going all the way down to see, I was going to go from 63rd and Troost all the way down to Gregory, pray that corner, go all the way over from Gregory to Prospect, pray that corner, from Gregory up to 63rd, pray that corner, then come over 63rd over to Troost and pray that corner. That was my plan. But I'm going halfway down on Troost, and I'm about a block away from McDonald's on the right, and the Lord says, turn here. He interrupted my life. I'm amazed I even heard it because that was not my plan, and I like to stick to the plan. Don't you like to stick to the plan? Don't we like it when people stick to the plan? Because when they don't stick with the plan, it kind of messes up our schedule, doesn't it? But God's kind of the master of all schedules. So I stopped, and I talked to her children. There were about seven of them on the counter that day sitting there on the porch, and after I talked to them for a few minutes, one of them took a picture, and they were looking at the picture, and their mother steps out, and that's her, LaRonda. And she started walking towards me. She said, did, did you just take a picture of my children without my permission? She's walking towards me. She was a large African-American woman. You don't mess with them. I'm walking backwards, and she's saying, did you take a picture of my children without my permission? I'm going like, well, here, I'm giving her cards. I'm saying, decaf, baby, anything, you know, just relax. And, and, and she got one of my little cards that you get when you're a minister that says you're an ordained minister. She said, oh, you're a pastor. She said, then you need to take a picture of me, too. So that's, that's her picture. So LaRonda, I took LaRonda's picture, and then that's us having dinner together. I want to just tell you, uh, lay people uh, and, and leaders, that LaRonda, I've been in her home, that was two years ago that I met her, I've been in her home 50 times since that day. Never alone, always with someone else, my daughter or another staff person. I've been in her home. I'm only in town three days a month. I just want, I'm just saying. If I can find a way to get into someone's life, you know what that's called? You know what it's called when you go into someone's life like that? That's called disciple making. Somebody say it with me. That's called disciple making. That's what that is. This is us at a restaurant. Uh, the next one on Johnny K's uh, restaurant. Go to the next slide, please. Just try to keep up with me. I'm going to go on and go. I had dinner and fellowship with her, my daughter, and I. There's my daughter there with her. We had fellowship. We broke plates at a Greek restaurant, and, and LaRonda danced. And I got pictures, and it was just great. I've, you know, I've had dinner with her and her children and my daughter at least 10 times in the last year and a half. You know what that's called? It's called disciple-making. Are you doing any of that? Have you been in anyone's home or taken anyone out to dinner that doesn't know Jesus lately? It doesn't take rocket science. You know what I said when I got up to that door? You know what I said to them? When I walked up to the, ready for this? This is profound. I walked up to the porch, and these kids are there, and here's what I said. Ready? I said, hi, we're planting a church. We'd like to invite you. Whoa. That's heavy, isn't it? How many of you could say that? You could probably say that. Uh, come on. How many of you could say Y'all just gave me 10 more minutes to preach. You could, all of us could do that. We could say that. Late February, I was visited at her home, and she said, I want to do a Bible study in my home, Pastor. I said, okay, no problem. She said, I want you to take a video of it. I want you to show it to the church because I want to invite them to come. I want them to click that next slide and show that video. It's going to be a little dark. 
Tuesday night, 6th of March. Okay. Pastor, March the 6th, I'm going to have Bible study over my house, 1426 East 65th Street. And y'all more too welcome to come to teach us the Bible. And we're going to cook have greens. I'm going to cook greens with ham, hock, sweet potato, meatloaf. Woo! I want That's you to now turn that slide over, and I want you to click all those slides and fill up that screen with the next slide. And I want to tell you what happened on that Bible study night. There it is. There it is. Keep clicking. There it is. There's the ham hocks and the greens. Keep on. There's the meatloaf right there. Oh, there's the sweet and there's the cornbread. She made it. She had 24 people in that Bible study that night. She invited her whole family into her. And, and I preached the gospel. You know a study? You know what our text was that night? Acts 1-8. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God did a great thing. Once while I was helping LaRon to move from 65th and Paseo to 31st and Mersington, when I'm home, I like to be involved with people's lives. I, I never thought that a professional minister was not still a disciple maker. I think I'm a disciple maker, even if I'm a director of evangelism, or if I'm a pastor, or if I'm a DS, or if I'm a layman, I think I'm still a disciple maker. Because the average natural thing that Christians do, according to Jesus, is what? Make disciples. That's what they do. And so I was going up Mersington, driving down the road, and this is what I'm talking about here, guys, is being hypersensitive to the Spirit. So what happened was I, I was driving her up, and as I drove to this one corner, 31st and Mersington, I saw about 30 people sitting on the side of the street smoking and drinking and doing all kinds of ungodly things. And as I was sitting there at that light, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I'm speaking to you, and he said, Mark, you're going to start loving those people. And I thought, God, I'm nothing like those people. He said, I know that. I said, but God, they're, they're drug addicts and alcohol. He said, that's who I came for. He said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I said, okay, what do I do? He said, start feeding them. So a couple weeks later, I got up early in the morning, and I went down to get a cup of coffee and an Egg McMuffin, and they had a two-for-one day, Egg McMuffin. <laughs> so they gave me two. I'm not going to eat two Egg McMuffins. So I had one of them. I was going to go do a prayer drive around that place that God told me to go love these people. So I went down there. It's the worst part of the community of Kansas City. It's 31st Street. If you've ever been in Kansas City, it's a bad area. And I'm down there, and, I, and, and so I go down there, and, and it's about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark. I'd already had some prayer, and I'm going down to do a prayer drive around 31st and Mersington so I could be ready to start feeding those people and loving on them. Because I always cover a place in prayer before I ever go in. Because I want God's protection because I'm an idiot without God. And so are you. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an idiot without God. You, we, we are. Everybody is. And so, I, and I, and so, so I, I got this extra sandwich. I know what to do. So I went down to go do my prayer drive, and I saw a guy on the side of the street. That's him right there. Next picture, please. That's him. His name is JT. JT was there, passed out drunk. It was dark in his wheelchair. And I got out of my car. I thought he was dead. I really thought he was dead. And I said, excuse me, sir. He, he startled me. He woke up. I said, would you like an angry muffin? Oh, yeah. Here's what I said. You ready? I said, I'm going to come down and feed some people on that corner. Would you tell your friends? How many of you guys could give somebody a sandwich? Come on. Everybody raise. You can, everybody can give a sandwich. Come on. It doesn't cost much. In fact, if you go to McDonald's the right day, it's free. You get two for one. That's JT. And then the next picture, if you go on over the next picture, that's Sharon. We got into Sharon's life. Sharon was down there, and I gave her a sandwich. Well, I kept going back. I went back to McDonald's. You go to the next slide. I went back to McDonald's 11 times that morning, or six times, and I gave away 11 sandwiches. 11. Because God told me to feed those people. If God told you to do something like that, would you do it? How many of you say, yeah, I would? Do, do you really trust Jesus? Because, see, I think he's telling you to do stuff like that. I just don't think we're tuned into the right channel. I think that UHF, I don't think that thing's on track. So, so I went down, and these ladies at McDonald's, I came back on the sixth time. They said, what are you doing with all these sandwiches? I said, I'm giving them to homeless people. They said, we want to come to your church. 
I've been ministering to this Spanish lady, and she's about ready to give her life to Jesus. Well, here we are. There's the next picture. There we are, cooking. You see this picture? These guys right here are all bloods. They're a bunch of gangsters, young teenage gangsters. I preached the message of holiness that night, and about 10 of them came to Jesus. There I am cooking on the grill. I, I, praise God, it's happening every week. So this is not rocket science, folks. This isn't Yiddish. This is just doing what God tells you. It's not a gifting. It's not, it's not talent. It's not personality. It's just if God tells you to do something, just do it. That's all I'm saying. And it's not easy because I don't have many gifts without God. In fact, I couldn't even breathe without him. Neither could you. Amen. There's another picture. You can see that picture. And just click through all those next pictures and you'll see some of the people we've been ministering to. The reason I have some of them pointed out with the arrows, when she clicks them, you'll see them. Uh, click, click, click. Anyway, this is Ernest. Yeah, there he is. Keep on clicking. There's a whole lot of them. And uh, that's uh, it's Karen. This is JT. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, um, there you go. James is up there in the wheelchair. These are the people that I minister to every week, every Friday. Do you know that now about 17 of them are coming to church almost every week? They've, they've, they've come to Jesus. And they've not come to Jesus because I'm talented or gifted or, 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 or because I'm special or have the right personality. They came to Jesus because I just didn't want to do something God told me to do. And I decided to go ahead and do what he said. You know why? Because I've learned to trust Jesus. It usually ends better for you if you trust Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. I came back down there about seven weeks ago and I got my grill out on a Friday night and I pulled it out and there was no one there. When I pulled the grill out, a police officer pulled up and he said, you can't cook here anymore. I said, why not? He said, there were five people murdered on this block last week. And he said, you can't cook here anymore. You got to find private property to cook on. I was so discouraged. I was depressed, man. I was down. I, was, I, was, I thought, I can't do this anymore. This is the ministry God told me to do. Why not? Why can't I? He said, you got to find private property. So I found a place. The place that I found is called uh, Wild Woodies. I want to show you a video of the, the first night that I preached there. Go ahead and click the next slide. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So that's who he's talking to. Here's what he says. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Yeah, you can turn the lights on and stop it. I, I just wanted you to get a picture of what's happening down there. These people come gather around. This, this was the second week that we were at the new place. You know how many were there the first week? I preached to 125 people on that corner on the first week. Every week, every Friday, we're preaching the gospel to people that don't know Jesus, and they need Jesus so desperately. Do you really believe that people need Jesus desperately? If you do, say amen. amen. Do you trust Jesus? Okay, good. I want to show you what Jesus went. And this is a quick map of it. You click them all to the next one and fill up that next screen uh, with the map. I think we're having technical difficulties tonight, and I'm so sorry about it. I'm going to go and pass that. And, oh, there it is. So click the map. There's about 10 clicks in there. I didn't get to remove all of them. This is Jerusalem, and, and up here is, uh, is Galilee, where he went. Now, normally the track that they would normally take, every Jew and every rabbi, that's it. Every Jew and every rabbi would take this track, and when they got close to Sychar and Samaria, they'd go over the Jordan, go up, and then come back around. That's what every Jew did. That's what, that's what the priests did. That's what the rabbis did. They would not go because they were considered that it, it, you would be corrupted, vile spiritually, if you even got around Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Let me just ask you this question. Have you had to go somewhere lately that you didn't want to go to talk to someone that maybe you didn't want to talk to? See, I, I believe God's calling us to do that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure that we're tuned in enough to hear it. Because I'm not sure that we really trust Jesus. But I, I believe that we're going to. The next point, his timing was perfect. His timing was perfect. It was the heat of the day around high noon. 
Most people went to the well in the cool of the day, but not this woman. This woman came. See, it was a strategic meeting. It was perfect timing. See, we think we know when the timing is right. We wait until it looks right, everybody's right, everybody has the right attitude, they write the right spirit, everybody feels good. It's going to be a great experience. Instead of saying, God knows the right timing. Amen? Jesus went there at noon. No one should have been there. This woman was there because she was lonely and she was isolated and she had no friends because all the people in town whispered about her when she was in public because she had had five men and none of them were her husbands and the one that she had now was not her husband. She was embarrassed. She was shamed. There was sin in her life and she didn't want to get around these people that would criticize her. She was lonely and isolated and, and she... It reminds me of going and knocking on some doors in Kansas City. I met a, an African-American man that was lonely, and he had had seven surgeries in the last seven weeks. And he invited me into his home. He invited me right into his home. Very, very poor. It, was, it, was, it smelled bad. He, 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 had one of those, he had one of those bags uh, for his sickness and, and his surgery, a colostomy bag, and he was changing when I came in. And I came in, and God, God told me to sit there on that couch, and I sat there, and I talked to him. And you know what he said when I left? He said, thank you, Pastor. He said, no one ever visits me. He said, I'm so lonely. Do you know how many lonely people there are around you in your community, in your neighborhoods? I don't mean just poor people. I mean rich people. All people. They're lonely. They're isolated. We live in a society where everybody lives in this thing with their earphones and there's no communication. There's no relationship. And people are dying without it. And we have it. We need to bring it to them. Someone say Amen. I want to introduce you to somebody that had that shame. Her name is Latrice. The next picture shows her. Latrice worked at McDonald's down the street on, on 64th or Meyer and Truce there. And, uh, and I, I used to come in McDonald's. I'd come in there about every week, and I saw Latrice for three months. I kept seeing Latrice. And every time I'd go through the drive-thru, I'd give her a flyer, invite her to come to church. She'd say, I'm coming. She didn't come for three months. Finally, about five weeks ago, Latrice, on Sunday morning, she said, I'm coming to church tonight, Pastor. I'm coming. I said, okay. She did come to church, and that night she was gloriously and completely saved. She's now not doing drugs. She's now, she's now I'll just tell you a little bit about her story. Uh, the next day, that was Sunday when she gave her life to Christ. On Monday, I called her. I said, Latrice, you're a Christian now. You need to get involved in service. Uh, we're going to be doing a Bible study tomorrow. Would you come with us? She said, sure. And so I picked her up with my daughter. We're driving over to the Bible study. And on the way over, she says, Pastor, let me tell you my story. She said, I was, I was born in Los Angeles, California, and when I was 15 years old, my mother kicked me out, and she made me move in with my father, who was a pimp. She said, when I moved in with my father, he sold me to another pimp friend of his, and I was a prostitute for 26 years. I was a crack addict. I lived a horrible life. She said, in fact, I was the top six most active prostitutes in Las Vegas. She showed me a picture of that Las Vegas journal ad where she was, her face was there. She was the top five most active prostitute in Las Vegas. And I thought, oh God, this woman was lost and hopeless. And all it took was a trip to McDonald's saying, would you like to come to one of our activities? How many of you could do something like that? Just say, would you like to come to one of our activities? We could all do that, amen. Latrice got gloriously saved. I'll tell you the rest of the story. But here's how it happened. Uh, Blair was the first person I met. Go to that picture. Blair was working at McDonald's two years ago, and I walked in the McDonald's, and you ready for this? This is disciple-making. This is how hard it is. I walked up to the counter, and I said, good morning, how are you? How many of y'all could say that? You know what that's called? Disciple-making. And she said, I'm about to pop. I didn't pursue that. She said, I'm about to pop. And she said, I'm about to have a baby. I'm nine months pregnant. I said, really? I said, can I pray for you? Because I had a daughter that was very, very sick, and, and I almost began to weep to tell her that God can give her a healthy baby, and I know what it's like to have an unhealthy baby. She said, you can pray for me. So we did, and we gave her a baby shower. 
came back two weeks later and gave her a baby shower. And she, I said, here's the caveat. If you come to a baby shower, you're going to do it just, just after church. And anybody that comes to your shower has got to be at church first. I call that responsible compassion. I give people a cup of water in Jesus' name. And we did. And you know, she brought 13 visitors that night to church. And I gave an invitation and only one of them responded. Her name was Brianna. Brianna gave her life gloriously to Christ. The next picture you'll see Brianna. There I am with her in front of the McDonald's. We took a picture. She's kind of a brutish. She was a big fighter. She was like a fist fighter. And, and I know this because when I, when I first saw McDonald's, her hand was swelled up and she had a big cut on her knuckle. She had hit some other girl in the mouth and the, and the, and the, and the tooth had cut her fist and she was swelling up. Then she was in the hospital about three days. They thought they were going to have to cut her hand off. I didn't realize that back to you in other people's mouths can mess your life up. She got gloriously saved. She, she starts coming to church. This next picture is a picture of her before M19. See her? That's cleaned up. There she is. Now we gave her a baby shower. She came and brought some others, and they got saved. Here we are at M19. She was baptized at the M19 conference. That's her, me baptizing her in front of the whole church at M19. Isn't that amazing what God can do? Here's how, here's how discipleship happens. You ready for this? Good morning. How are you? Let's try it together. Good morning. How are you? Can you do that? If you can do that, you can make disciples. And then you go back again and again, and you listen to the Holy Spirit. You be hypersensitive when He tells you to give somebody a shower. You give it to them. I want to show you this next picture. I just want to get you a picture of what happens when you do a little bit of disciple making. This picture right here, these are, this is um, Brianna's sister and her cousin. They joined the church that day. They got gloriously saved because Brianna started coming to church. Go to the next picture, I want to introduce you to Brandy. Brandy is Brianna's mother. That's her. Click it again. And you'll see that was her last bottle of liquor. We baptized her on the, on, the, on, the, on the grass of the seminary property about five weeks ago. She came to me. She said, Pastor, I've been dry for five weeks. I'm ready to serve Jesus. The next click, praise God. Click it again, and you'll see that's her first Bible. Go ahead and fill the screen up. There it is. That's her first Bible. She's serving God. I was back home two weeks ago. I'm only home about one Sunday a month. And, uh, and, and I got back home, and, and Brandy was there, and she said, Pastor, you won't believe it. I've been dry now for nine weeks. Praise God. Brianna is, is serving God. Brandy is serving God. Brandy, her sister, is serving God. Her mother is serving God. You know, there's nine people in our church almost every Sunday because of that one experience at McDonald's when I walked up to the counter and I said, how are you? Amen. You're all disciple makers. I knew you could do it. Praise God. I want to show you a, a picture of, of uh, Latrice. There she is. She sent me this last week because she said, my mother wanted to see what I look like clean. <laughs> she hadn't seen her mother for forever. My mother wanted to see what I look like clean. She sent her a picture of her mother. And I just want to tell you about this story. It says, uh, she has no drugs now. She's delivered from crack cocaine. She's from delivered from meth. She's clean. She's dry. And she stopped smoking last week. Last week, my nephew, don't click the next one. Hold on backwards. Okay. Next, last, last week, my nephew had an outreach event two weeks ago. My, my, my brother-in-law, my son-in-law, I'm sorry, his name is Mike. He was out trying to hand out flyers because we believe that every Christian ought to be involved in disciple making. So all of our people are out giving flyers and talking to people about our events. And so Mike's out there and I said, Mike, you need to go to Latrice. Go tell her to hand out some flyers because she's a Christian and she needs to learn how to be disciple maker right now. He went over to the McDonald's. She was working. She said, I can't. I can't hand out flyers. She said, I'm working all day. But she said, if you'll get me some, I'll figure out a way to get them out. So Mike brought her 50 flyers. He went back to that McDonald's to get a burger for him and his wife that afternoon about 3. He opened his hamburger bag, and guess what was in it? A flyer. 
She was putting flyers in every Happy Meal, every hamburger bag, every Coke. She's putting flyers in everything. Guys, hey, if she can make disciples, you can make disciples. Question today, do you trust Jesus? I hope you do. He went to a place that wasn't safe. I told you about the, the murders on 31st and Mersington. Guys, where sin is, it's not a safe place. But you got Jesus. Do you trust Jesus? If he asked you to go into unsafe places, would you go? Remember when Peter was called out on the water? The storm was still raging. Jesus said, Peter said, if it's you, bid me come. Would you say that to Jesus? Would you say, Jesus, if it's you, if it's you the one that's calling me to go out, I'll go out. How many of you say I would? Amen. Peter said, if it's you, come. And you know what Jesus said? He said, it is me, come. I think all of them heard him. But only one stepped out. And you know what happened? He nearly drowned. And he got back in that boat. And I bet you when he got back in that boat, those guys are making fun of him. You big dummy, you think you can walk on water too? Here you think you are, Jesus? He said, I may look like a fool, but he said, I want you to know that Jesus wasn't the only one that walked on the water today. Because <laughs> Peter walked on the water. See, here's what I think Jesus wanted. I think Jesus wanted to have a line dance on the water that day. He wanted all 12 of them out there, but only one of them had the faith to really trust Jesus. Do you trust Jesus? That's a really, it's an important question. He risked his reputation. Number five, he did things that no normal rabbi would do. He was alone with a notorious woman by a well in the desert. That would hurt his reputation. Number six, he initiated a conversation with her. I love this. He said, will you give me something to drink? This is Jesus' method of evangelism. Do you like this method? I don't like this method. I don't want to talk to some strange woman in a strange place. And I'm not going to certainly ask someone that's kind of socially beneath me to serve me. But Jesus was obedient to the Father. He did what God said. Are you going to do what God said? If you are, say amen. Hold on. That's not good. It's, we're getting close to time. You keep giving me more minutes. Uh, how many of you would say, if Jesus told me to do something, I would do it? Amen. She reminded him it was inappropriate for him to even speak to her. She told him that. This was an awkward moment. I've been there just this past fall in September. These are the people. These are the Spanish ladies. I mentioned them to you earlier. It was very awkward for me to do that. You know what I said to, the, to JT? Remember JT? Remember JT underneath the building at 31st and Mercington? You know what I said? I said, hey, I have an extra sandwich. Would you like one? That's how hard it is to talk to someone about Jesus. Let's try that together. Turn to the next slide, please. Click it three or four times. Fill that screen up. You ready? Let's say it together. I have an extra sandwich. Would you like one? Could you say that to someone? That was the first conversation I had that now I'm preaching to about 100 people every week on Friday night, and about 20 of them are coming to church almost every Sunday. I just talked to Steve. I wasn't there last Sunday. I just talked to Steve, and he had about nine there last Sunday from that place. Praise God. Then I asked him, could I feed you guys next week? He said yes. Number, verse 9, next screen. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She said that. She knew that he wasn't supposed to talk to her. I want to challenge you. We must do crossover ministries. I want to read you a, a, a little note that LaRonda sent me. And go to the next screen when it's a white screen. I want you to stop. I sent her a text one day, and I, you know what sending text to people that are new Christians is called? It's called disciple making. It's called getting back in their lives. I sent her a text, and I said, Laurent, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, 
and that I'm thinking about you today, and I want to read it. Don't click the slide. I want to read it to you. Here's what she said in her text to me. She said, Pastor, you just don't know how I need those prayers. When I see and read this text, it makes me feel more worthy to never give up. I really need your prayers to keep going. I'm so glad that you came to my porch that day and met me and my girls. They haven't had a good male role model in their lives since their father died. I'm so glad God honored us by sending you to my house. Praise God. You know what that is? Yeah. Good morning. We're planning a church. We'd like to invite you. How hard is that? I'm going to go on past the next screen, and we're going to go to number seven. I think it's two screens down. Number seven. Jesus was willing to cross the difficult social and cultural barriers to do the will of God. So we think we can find a way to do discipleship without, without it being any tension involved. But it's not possible. Because what we have is we have this amazing thing called the Holy Spirit in us. And when you get around lost people, there's something about you that they notice because they don't know Jesus. And they need him and they sense this light and darkness conflict. It's natural. You can't avoid it. I want to tell you the gospel is more powerful than culture. If you believe that, say amen. amen. The gospel is more powerful than your gifts. Say amen. The gospel is more powerful than your personality. Say amen. amen. Number eight, and we're just about done. Everybody said amen. The result of this encounter was a great revival in Samaria. The whole city came to Jesus. True disciple making is, is reproductive. I just want to remind you of that. Once you go on to the next screen, I want to show that video. And I want to ask you the question before we do, the last video. If you could get the lights down. While you're getting the lights down, before you start the video, I just want to ask you this question. Do you trust Jesus? If you would, say amen out loud. Do you trust Jesus? Amen. I want to show you a video, and then we're going to close. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help you. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now. Do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Ooh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. <laughs> yes, the Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. Awesome. It is awesome, <laughs> especially when you do it. Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way.
way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. So the question tonight is, do you trust Jesus? Do we trust Jesus? When he asks us to do something that looks dangerous and scary? The best question is, have we been trusting Jesus? I'd like for you to bow your heads. I've asked the, the singers to come and play this song. What we're talking about tonight is very simple. You know, when I became a Christian as a very young man, the little junior high Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Lloyd, she said to me, Mark, if you get Jesus in your heart, you'll become like Jesus. How many of you would like to be like Jesus? Raise your hand. There's only one way, folks, to be like Jesus. You have to trust him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give you two very simple requests for invitations. And I asked you this earlier, probably several times. If Jesus asked you to do something that you really didn't like, would you still do it? And most of you said yes. I believe tonight Jesus is asking some of you to take a step towards being a better disciple maker. And I want to see how many of you are willing to say, yes, I will. So I'd like to ask you a question. If you think you need to do better at making disciples, I want you to stand up. Right where you're at, just stand up. I think I need to do better at making disciples. I want you to stand up. Be honest. We're in a safe place here. I need to do better at making disciples. How many of you would say, I'll do what Jesus says if he just tells me. I'll go where Jesus says if he tells me. I'll say what Jesus says if he tells me. How many of you would say amen? I want us to pray. So if you're willing to do that and make a step towards asking God, simply not. Here's what I want you to ask God. God, speak to me, show me, and go with me so that I can do what Jesus did, be a disciple maker. See, I want to come back here one day in about a year or two and see that your church has doubled because every person here did what Jesus did, said what Jesus told you to say, and went where Jesus told you to go. If he told you to go into an unsafe place, would you go? I want us to have prayer tonight. If, if, you, if you need to confess to God tonight that you've not done enough at being a disciple maker, I want you to boldly and courageously just step out of your seat. We're going to have prayer together tonight. I want you to just move right out. That's right. Just come on down. We're going to have a time of prayer together. I'm going to ask Steve, our district superintendent, to come up in a moment. I'd like for him to pray a prayer of commissioning. And as you're coming, I just want to remind you of what a commissioning is. The disciples are only three years old in their faith. Only three years. How many of you are at least three years old in your faith? Say amen. If you're at least three years old in your faith, you have more experience with Jesus than the disciples did when he left. They changed the world in, in nine years. So if you'd say, I'm willing to take another step, if God will tell me how, I want you to come down. We're going to have prayer. Don't be bashful. I want to give you a chance to come down. Would you go ahead and play that, please, and not sing it yet? Or you can sing it softly in the background. It would be great. Do you want to be like Jesus? If you're not enough like Jesus, I'd like you to come down and pray and say, I want to be more like you, Jesus. Go ahead and sing it softly for us, would you? Group workers in his harvest field. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for all the times that we have not been like your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us for not sharing the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, even in those times where it's the most difficult. Lord, you've challenged us tonight. Thank you for this message through our brother Mark. And Father, I pray that as our hearts have been stirred tonight, that it won't be just this emotional thing for the moment, but that this will actually change and transform our very hearts, that it would transform us to the core to actually be like Jesus, to use the methods that Jesus used, Father, all the people that we are surrounded by, the thousands, in fact, millions of people in the greater Toronto area that don't know Jesus and that they are heading to eternity of destruction. Father, help us. Help us. Help us to, that our hearts will be broken for the people that we even know, our neighbors, our family members, our, our friends, the people that we work with who don't know you, that we see every day and we just have not been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Forgive us, but help us. Lord, help us to put that behind us now and help us to move ahead in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own power, because we don't have it. I don't have it. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to say, good morning, how are you today? And then use those simple words. to prick the hearts of men and women who we rub shoulders with. Use those simple words. I've been reminded tonight that I don't have to be profound. I don't have to, I don't have to come up with all the answers. All I have to say is Jesus loves you and I love you. Help us, Lord. For the person that is lonely, Help us to reach out to them. For the person that is in need, help us to share what you have blessed us with in the name of Jesus. But Lord, help us to step out in faith, even though we are scared. And we live, we live in a society that that, yeah, is post-Christian, but I've been reminded, even today, I've been reminded that post-Christian also means that it's pre-Christian, <laughs> that, that there is such an opportunity for us to share the gospel with people who may not even know who Jesus is by name, much less in a relationship with him. So, Father, help us. Help me. Help me. 
And so, Lord, for those who have gathered around these altars, for those who are in the chairs, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your, the power of your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. Not that we would be a comfortable church, not that we would be comfortable with uh, all the material wealth that we have in this country, but that we would be your witnesses. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us and empower us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to be in tune with your Holy Spirit so that when you say, turn this way, when we had planned to go straight, that we will actually turn that way. And when you say, speak to that person, even though we are scared because that person doesn't look like someone who would even be willing to listen to us, Lord, help us to be so in tune with you and empowered by your Spirit that we will fall backwards when we don't even know what's behind us. Help us, Lord. And so, Father, go with us now. Take us out of this place of worship into the mission field that you have called us to and use us in an incredible way. Maybe even as we go home tonight, as we're driving home, as we're walking up our driveway, open up opportunities even tonight that we would share a good word. Good evening. How are you? We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and who is the one, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And it is because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his coming again that we have the hope that we are going to be with you in heaven for eternity. Lord, help us to share that hope and not keep it to ourselves. So go with us now. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, go with us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you.